Amen. Welcome to Unhindered. I am going to jump right into the lesson this morning because as the great prophet Jerry Reed once said, I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. We, we are uh, going to start in Job chapter 42. This is a scripture that God gave me at the beginning of the year, and it's our focus for the entire year. Uh, I'm going to ask you to read it with me. I, I think we're going to have it on the screen. There it is. I'm going to ask you, ready, read. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. And there is the crux of our series, Unhindered. I'm going to be preaching this. I, I've, I've figured out I'm already up to the end of June in my preparation, so it's, it's probably going to be the majority, if not the entirety, of the summer that we're going to be talking about unhindered. And what do I mean by unhindered? Well, exactly what that scripture is teaching us. I know that you, oh God, can do all things. God can do everything. Can I hear somebody say amen? Okay, so he can do anything, and no purpose of yours can be hindered. So, so let me begin by saying God has a purpose. And, and, and his purpose, and I'm going to be going through a lot of this as we uh, examine the scriptures. That's why I'm taking my time. I'm going to be more teacher mode than I am preacher mode uh, because I want to get this word into you. I want you to be exposed to God's purpose because a purpose that you do not understand. The Bible says that his people perish because they don't have enough knowledge. And most of the time, you don't have enough knowledge about what his purpose is. When you read his Bible, you find promise after promise after promise after promise. I heard uh, in one of the seminary classes that I was taking, there's somewhere around 300,000, three, between 300 and 350,000 promises. If you take them all, I, I, I'm not counting them all. So I'm going to take that uh, book at its, at its word. But it, let's just put it this way. We know there's a lot of promises in the book. And yet the Bible says here, Job is talking to God. He says, I know, God, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. So I'm going to dive into that thought this morning about how do we hinder God. You and I, as we might as well be fleas on a dog when it comes to this world. There's, there's 7 billion human beings alive right now. That doesn't count all the people that have already lived and died on this planet. God has seen a lot of you come and go. And, and God's plan has always been the same. Because he's God all by himself. He doesn't have board meetings. He doesn't ask you your opinion of things. He just does what he wants to do because he is God all by himself. And, and, and yet... And yet, I will testify, maybe I'll be the only honest Christian in here this morning, I know that God's promises to me, the Bible says, are yes and amen. I know that His promises are that none should be lost. All should be saved. All. Somebody say all. Yeah, that's not most. That's not some. All means all. And yet, all aren't saved. God had a plan. Yes, and his plan was hindered. So there are things you and I do that gets in the, per, in the way of God's purpose for us. Even though the Bible says his plan can't be hindered. No, no, no purpose of his can be hindered. And yet, I'm going to show you this morning that you can hinder what God does. And if I can teach you how you do it, Maybe I can teach you to stop doing it. And maybe, just maybe, we will start seeing the things that we ask God for. Miracles, signs, wonders, things that are His purpose. Because I promise you, I'm going to teach you through this series, His purpose is for you to be well. His purpose is for you to, to have strength and to have vitality and for you to live a long and a prosperous, a, 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 a healthy life and a prosperous life. And He wants you to be well and ha have your mind and your cognizant abilities. He wants you to bless the Lord every day. He wants you to have a reason to rejoice every day. And yet, His purpose, if we're honest, has been hindered in our lives. So I, I want to begin this morning... Uh, by saying a couple things to you. First of all, get you one of these. I, I know I've got one of these fancy iPads too, and, and I know that you've, uh, 
I know you've got your notes on your phone and stuff, but nothing beats writing notes in the margins of one of these books. And the reason I say it is because I'm going to take one particular passage of Scripture. I'm going to start this morning, and I'm going to beat that thing to death. It's Proverbs chapter 3, and it's a passage of Scripture that you think you know one side up and the other side down. You think you know these four verses. But I'm going to show you some things beginning this morning that you have never thought of. And, and, and as we go through this passage, we're just going to keep going through it and keep going through it and keep going through it until I think I have finally gotten it to the point where you uh, can regurgitate it to anybody you meet. So, so that's where we're going to begin this morning. But, but we started this year with the idea of enhancing your prayer life and increasing your faith. Do you remember that? We're going to spend the next couple of months giving you the tools to do both of those things. We believe that we are a church where anything's what? Possible. And so over the next six to eight months, can I ask you a question? We believe anything's what? Anything's what? Over the next six to eight months, wouldn't it be wonderful if we started seeing that in real, in real life? Like, really, instead of just saying it wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be wonderful if we started seeing that happen? So, so let's dig into this word. If you'll go with me, I'm going to show you some things because this word's going to show you how this word should work for you, what you should be experiencing. So I'm going to challenge you to show up. I'm going to challenge you to take notes. I'm going to challenge you to wake your neighbor up. And I'm going to challenge you to learn to apply what you shout about. Because we're good at shouting. We're a lot better at shouting on Sunday than we are at application on Tuesday. So, so that's where we're going to try to move to is into application. Are you ready? So I'm going to talk to you this morning. Our sermon this morning is titled, and tonight, The Deadliest Virus. I don't know if you heard, but the last couple of years, viruses became a big deal. That was a joke. Some of y'all missed it entirely. Some of y'all thought, does he really not know? No, I know. It was a joke, friends. So, so what if I told you, though, that we live in a world full of deadly viruses, most of which you, you never will encounter, you won't catch, or if you do catch, you'll get over them. But there are deadly viruses all over the planet. Some of them can make you very sick. Some of them can even uh, kill you. However, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. And what happens in the spirit realm is the same as what happens in the natural realm. There is one deadly virus in the spirit realm that is more deadly than all the others combined. Because it's this virus that if you come into contact with it, and you have, most of us, the reason why it's so deadly is because most of us ignore it. We get sick with it, and we ignore the virus. Can I get an Amen. I know you don't know what I'm talking about yet, but you know what's going to be good. Look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. Now look at your other neighbor and say, so you need to pay attention. <laughs> so we spend so much time and energy trying to keep ourselves. I still see people with masks on. Listen, I'm not here to cast dispersions. I still see people with masks on. I still see people wearing gloves when they go out in public. I, I, I don't care one way or the other how you want to uh, do that. But we spend a lot of time trying to keep ourselves safe from other people. Amen? I mean, we, 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 uh, we try to avoid people, even if we're sick. Like, and I'm not talking about COVID necessarily, but if I got, you know, bronchitis, I don't come cough in your face. I, I'm, I'm just going to be nice about it, and I'll cough behind your back. Yeah, so I'm not, <laughs> not going to wipe my coat on your, uh, my nose on your shirt tail. It's just not nice. So uh, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid sickness. However, we... While we're taking precautions in the natural realm, there is something much more deadly, something that is very uh, uh, anti and dangerous to your prosperity and your wholeness. And, and it's something we don't think about, and it's th something that most of us never prepare for because this virus is the reason why some of our prayers are not getting answered. This virus is why sometimes God seems very far away. We're going to look at the deadliest virus what if I told you, if you've already opened your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3, what if I told you that we make reading the Bible much harder than it has to be? 
It's one reason why I have stopped dissecting Daniel's 70 weeks and Ezekiel's wheel inside of the wheel and Revelations chapter 4 through 21. I stopped teaching it. The reason is we get so enamored and fascinated with something in the future that we don't learn to apply today what we already know. And, and, and that's a problem. Can somebody say amen to that? That's, that's a problem. Hey, everybody gets so fascinated with the end times. Oh, that's a sign that the Antichrist, listen to me. By the time the Antichrist shows up, if you don't learn how to apply what I'm going to teach you in Proverbs chapter 3, he'll be the least of your worry. There's a lot of things that we get caught up with because it takes responsibility off of us and puts it on the future. And this is what I'm going to be spending the rest of my uh, summer trying to teach you because God makes things very, very plain and you and I try to make them mysterious. Don't you look at me in that tone of voice because there's a very, there's a very simple reason why we do it. We do it because... We would rather make God mysterious and keep doing what we're doing than accept the plain truth and work on us. Yeah, I got two golf claps. <laughs> That's all right. I brought an amen in my pocket. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to show you in four verses. This is how simple the Bible is. I'm going to show you the keys to enjoying your life, how to stop making so many mistakes, and even how to bring healing to your body in four verses. And you and I complicate it. Do you want to know why? Because instead of receiving the plain, easy truth and allowing blessings to fall into our lives, we would rather make it complicated because that means when I keep falling short, it's not my fault it's too hard. Ooh, I didn't get one amen right there. Not nary one, as my grandma used to say. Y'all don't have nary's up here. We had nary's in the south. Listen to me. It is a mathematical equation how to lose weight. <laughs> Y'all are mad at me already. Do you know it's a mathematical equation? 3,500 calories plus or minus. It's one pound. Doesn't matter what color your skin it is. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Doesn't matter if you're 12 or 112. 3,500 calories up or down will change your weight by one pound. So if you want to lose weight, it's math. You add up what you're spending. You add up what you're making. And you need a deficit. Somebody say deficit. If you want to gain some weight, which I don't know why I meant most of us would, but if you want to gain some, it's addition. Amen? So it's a mathematical equation. But we like to complicate it. Because it takes responsibility away from us. So when we keep squeezing into the pants, we don't say, I probably should eat 500 calories less today. We, sh we, we say things like, somebody shrunk my pants. While I wasn't looking, somebody washed my pants and put them in, in, in the dry. It can't be my fault. It's more complicated than that. It can't be that easy. Do you realize that making money and spending money and saving money is math? But it's 80%. We think we have to learn. We need to read more books and we need to take seminars and we need to go to these classes. No, it's 20% application of 80% head knowledge. You've got to change the way you think. Because when you change the way you think, you'll change the way you spend. But if you keep spending more than you make, you're never going to save a penny. It's math. No, you say, Pastor, it has to be more complicated than that. The only reason you want to believe it's more complicated than that is because it takes responsibility off of you and puts it onto something else. Some ambiguous boogeyman that is stealing all of your money while you sleep. Some ambiguous boogeyman that is sneaking into your room while you're sleeping, put Twinkies down your throat. You want to believe that it's somebody else's fault. It's not yours. And I'm going to tell you in this series, I'm going to make this as plain as possible. The Bible teaches us what God's purpose is for us. And if it is being hindered, it's not his fault. And it is 
simple. I'm not going to ask you to look at your neighbor and tell them they're simple. Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs chapter 3, I'm going to begin with verse 5. Some of you think you know this verse, so don't, I'm going to challenge you, don't just start quoting it. Because a lot of times we memorize scripture and we start quoting it because we, we have it in our head. But I'm trying to get this from your head to your heart. Okay? Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. There it is. Did you see it? Most of you missed it. There's the deadliest virus right there. I call it, and I'm going to keep calling it through this series, the crooked lean. Your problem is not your boss. It's not your ex. It's not your mama. It's not your daddy. It's not who raised you. It's not your lack of education. Your problem is you have a crooked lean. You are leaning on the wrong understanding. Let's read it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Verse 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be to you how to have a blessed life and be healed. It's got to be more complicated than that. You're not talking about the boogeyman with the Twinkies. The guy is sabotaging. No, no, no. Four verses. I didn't ask you to read all 66 books of the Bible. I didn't ask you to get in, dive into the deep things and the, the, the ideas of eschatology and hermeneutics. And I didn't ask you to get into all those uh, classes that put me to sleep when I went to seminary. I, I didn't ask you to get into all that. I gave you four verses. I'm about to break them down for you. I'm about to show you some things and teach you some things about how you hinder the purpose of God. It's four verses. If you could just take these four verses, internalize them, eat them, get them into your spirit, live them and apply them, you would see your frown turn upside down. You would walk around with so much faith that the devil would be afraid to see you get out of bed in the morning. You don't have to read tons of books and, and attend seminars and get people's teachings. Just take these four verses and you'll stop hindering what God wants to do. Let's dive into this. Say, teach us, preacher. I'm glad I got two of your permission. Okay. You're going to be shocked both today, tonight, and probably for the next two months at how many keys there are. That's why I'm challenging you to buy you one of these books. I know most of you don't own one. Some of you own one, and it's got three inches of dust on it. Bring it next Sunday. Because if you start making notes of things that I drop into your spirit, it will, it will forever challenge you. I still go back to my original study Bible when I got saved and read notes because God deposited things in my study. And when I was sitting in congregations of people's uh, revelation that they were dropping, I would write it in the margins of that Bible. I still have that Bible. One day, I don't know what it's going to take to get it out of my hands. My wife tells me I'm not allowed to do it. One day, I want to give it away to somebody because it's got, it's got sermons I wrote in the margins. It's got notes where I was praying and God gave me revelation and I still go back and refer to that stuff. So you're going to be shocked at how many keys there are in these four verses where you can have a blessed life, a healthier life, and we're going to spend the next few months going over them. Let's, let's, start, let's start with trusting the Lord with how much of your heart? How much? Uh-huh. Now, Solomon wrote this. And Solomon is writing Proverbs primarily to his son. It could be his actual son. It could be a spiritual son. We're not sure, but he addresses a lot of it to his son. And he, he tells his son a lot of very practical things, like don't chase wild women. 
Don't chase another man's woman. Seems like a lot of Solomon's advice was about women. Now, when you read Solomon's story, you find out he was better at giving advice about women than he was with women. He was better at giving biblical advice than he was at following it. And the same is true for some of us. We post scriptures on Facebook and give people scriptural advice that we're not. Y'all mad at me already. This is going to be a long sled ride for some of y'all. Now, he says here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't miss that little three-letter word. Because most people in this room, unless you're here on the drug program, somebody drug you, most of you in this room love God with some of your heart. A few of you love the Lord with most of your heart. But this scripture tells me if you want to live unhindered, God wants you to trust Him with all of your heart. Now, now see, this word's important because it draws a line directly from your heart to God. Say, unhindered. If you want to know how to get your heart in tune with God, you've got to remove whatever there is between the two of it. There are things that are in your heart. And if you were here during the series that I did where I had the props on the stage, I, I kept using that heart as, as it, it causes a lot of damage in your life. And that's why Solomon says God wants all of your heart. He said, if you really want all of my benefits that I have purposed for you, I need all of your heart. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. That right there is the first lesson about how to live a life that's unhindered. Then Solomon gives us five ways. Are you ready for this? He gives us five ways to give all of ourselves to God. The first thing I'm not going to dive into because it's going to be a sermon by itself. Do not lean on your own understanding. Some of y'all got a crooked lean. All of us at times have a crooked lean. That's going to be a sermon all by itself. It's going to be deep. It's going to be filled with scripture. And I don't want to get into it this morning. I'm going to move on to the second thing Solomon shows us. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Stop right there. He says, in all your ways, first he says, give all of your heart. There's a heart in you, and then your heart defines your ways. He says, I need all your heart, and I need all of your ways. Some of y'all are scared already because you're afraid of what I'm about to tell you. He says, acknowledge me. In your ways. Is what you're doing acknowledging God in your life? If you want to know if you've acknowledged Him with all your ways, think about some of the stuff that you can't invite God to. But notice what He says right out of the gate In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And he will make your paths straight. Notice, right out of the gate, God says, if you give me all of you, your life gets easier. Did you see what I saw? He said, if you give me your heart and you acknowledge me in all your ways, your life gets easier. Because here's what he said. If you seek me in everything you do, I will show you what path to take. How many of you have wandered around aimlessly for sometimes months wondering, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? How does God want me to do this? What does he want me to say? How does he want me to raise these kids? How does he want me to perform at work? Have any of you ever asked how God, well, he, he just showed you. See, we make the, no, it's got to be more complicated than that. No, it's not. It's simply not more complicated. He said, if you aren't hearing from me, it's because I need more of you. If you're, not, if you're not sure what path to take, it's because you have held some of your 
acknowledgement from me. Oh, this is good. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 10 says this. God's asking a question. To whom can I give warning? Who will listen when I speak? If you want to know what path to take, listen. Their ears are closed and they cannot hear. They scorn the word of the Lord. They don't want to listen at all. What he's saying here is that when your flesh gets between you and God, your flesh does not want to hear what God is saying, and it certainly doesn't want to obey what God leads you into. So some of us are serving God with some of us. Some of us are serving God with most of us. But I dare say there's not a lot of us serving God with I almost called this sermon simply all because I'm going to beat that theme to death because what he's saying here is that when your carnality is in the way, it doesn't allow you to hear what God is saying to you. See, there's a lot of Christians that are exposed to good preaching and good teaching, but how much of the teaching you are exposed to sticks in your heart or are you just along for the ride? When the flesh is in the way, the sermon will get you excited but a sermon that excites you, but you don't know how to apply it to the path you take, doesn't help you. Listen, there are no scriptures to tell you who to marry. Hmm, should I marry Bill or Bob? Well, Proverbs 11. <laughs> no, that scripture's not in your Bible. It, there's, there's no scripture going to teach you... Um, what house to buy, or which college to choose, okay? You can memorize Scripture and still get on the wrong path. I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. You can memorize books of Scripture and still end up on the wrong path if you never learn how to apply what you know to the path you take. That's why, and listen, I know it's Memorial Day weekend, but this is Pentecost Sunday. This is 40 days after. We'll act, we'll act like Pentecostals tonight. This is Pentecost Sunday, which means we believe that we're led by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the Spirit knows the deep things of God. And that He will reveal those deep things to you. And you think that that means that you should be walking around calling out other folks' sins. But what he really wants to reveal to you, the deep things, is all that stuff you got hid on the inside of you. All that stuff that you don't want to fool with. All that stuff you don't want to deal with. Why does he want you to know about yourself? I've told you last week he leads you beside steel waters because he wants you to see your own reflection. Why does he want you to deal with what's in you? Because unless he has all of you, he cannot bring healing to you. He cannot bring your paths toward him as long as you are holding back. If you've got some of you on reserve, then you are not ready for this word that I'm about to expose you to. Because the Holy Spirit will release information to you that you cannot access any other way. But you have to stop leaning on your own understanding. You have to quit overriding the Holy Ghost and acting like you know more than He does. You're missing, uh, you're missing His will in your life because you're making decisions based on your past and the present. You make decisions based on who hurt you. You make decisions based on whether He's got a fine jawline or not. You make decisions on whether or not they'll pay you another dollar on the hour over across the street. You make decisions based on your past, your present, your emotions, and your impulses. But when you learn how to quit leaning on your own understanding, and you lean on the Holy Spirit's understanding who reveals the deep things, He knows not just your past and your present, but He also knows, dear child of God, your future. He knows that if you make this choice today, what that decision's going to look like 20 years from now. And He will put up a big flashing red light and say, don't do that. You're not going to like the fruit that you're going to get from this decision. You need to slow down and listen to me. 
See, some of us understand this and some of us ignore this because we would rather live in the moment and be satisfied now. I'll get to that in a moment. No matter what tomorrow looks like. But your life is a reflection of the voices you've listened to. Be careful who has your ear because your life is the sum total of everybody who has poured into you. Some of y'all looking at me like you don't believe me. Why do you speak English? Because when you were small, you were taught how to, uh, you were exposed to English. And you learned how to express your ideas and your thoughts and your reactions in English. If you were born 16 hours south of here, you would be speaking Spanish. If you were born 8 to 9 hours north of here, you might be speaking French because you would have learned how to express yourself in another language. What I'm trying to teach you, dear child of God, is you need to learn how to express yourself based on this thing living on the inside of you. You've got to quit leaning on your own understanding and know that when he says no, it's not because he's trying to cut the fun out of you or he wants you lonely on Friday nights. He's trying to keep you from a mistake that he knows is going to show up five years. Da- but no, 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 we got this crooked, we've got this crooked lean. It's the deadliest virus. Then he says, don't be wise. <laughs> Oh, child of God, I promise you, you ain't the one. You will not be the one that proves that God didn't know what he was talking about. You won't be the one that proves that you're smarter than he was. Stop trying. Then he says, fear the Lord. Let me just stop right here for a little bit. Fear the Lord. Some people get saved, and we, we have watered down Christianity to the point and made defenses so low that we forget that He is not just a God of love and honor and respect and justification and regeneration. He's also a God of holiness and righteousness. and It's His way or the highway. And, and some people are like Pharaoh in, in, in Moses' day. They don't fear the Lord, but they hate the plagues. And I have met people like this my whole ministry because they don't fear the Lord, but they hate the plagues showing up in their life. Do you remember the story? The plagues would show up and Moses or Pharaoh would, would repent for about 24 hours. And then once he got used to the plague, he didn't like the plague, but he also did not want to serve God. He didn't want to give in to God's will. Some of you are like that. You hate the plagues. And so you want to play a victim. Well, I'm lonely. Or, well, I don't know any better. Or, well, nobody's here to help me. Or, well, this is just how I'm built. Or, this is just how I'm made. And you want to play the victim. But really, in reality, you're reaping what you have sown. You you are living in a house that you built. And, and, And the problem is, until the lust of the flesh gives out, Sin tastes good for a season. Uh, You don't consider God when you're making your sinful choices. You do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and with whoever you want to do it. And you don't ask God, what path should I take? As a matter of fact, you don't even want to talk about God. Because He crimps your style. In that moment, you don't want to be godly. You don't want to be holy. You just... There's too many kids in this room or I'd just be wrong. You want to do your own thing with whoever it is in front of you. And you want to just come to church on Sunday and pray off your bad choices. You want to sow to a whirlwind all week and then pray for crop failure on the weekends. And this is the problem that we have. And it's fun for a while, but then the lust of the flesh runs out on you. And by the way, they will too eventually. And when they run out on you and the lust of the flesh runs out on you, what you're left with is the consequences of your bad choices. And then you want to say, God, help me. But you wasn't asking God. You wasn't asking God for help. Why do you think you're on this path? Do you honestly think this was God? 
boy, it's quiet in here. You're so somber. Do you honestly think this was the path God chose for you? How'd you end up four miles in this? You the wrong direction. I, used, I grew up in the country. I, y'all don't even have country. People, people say, well, about Bethany. Listen, y'all don't have country. Now, I'm talking about 60,000 continuous acres of woods where there's like two houses. And when you get out of the way, you might be two hours out of the way. And somebody says, you say, hey, I'm trying to get over to, to, to Elk Grove. Oh, friend, how'd you get out here? That's the question them, them farmers always ask you. Well, how'd you end up here? Because you way out in the country, you way out in the sticks, and you have taken so many wrong turns and went so far out of the way, and you'll pull over some farmers out there in, in his field, and you say, hey, I'm looking for so-and-so. Well, how'd you end up here? In other words, you have missed so many turns and gotten so far out of the way, you ain't even close to where you're trying to get to. Some of us are like that. Acknowledge him and he will show you the path to take. Why are you on the path you're on? Evaluate yourself right now. Listen, we're talking about living unhindered. I know you thought that I was going to give you a magic formula, but the magic formula is always on the inside of you. And, and the hindrance is not on heaven's connection if there is a disconnect between heaven and you they have perfect service they ain't like AT&T or Verizon can you hear me now see see Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 is one of these scriptures that Jesus taught us that we never talk about we don't like this side of Jesus he said don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body because They don't have a heaven or a hell to put you in. But fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Did you hear what Solomon said? He said, and Jesus even said, fear the Lord who can what? Put, destroy both soul. We don't talk about this anymore. This is not seeker-friendly church. Pastor, you're making me feel bad. Good! Would to God that I could make somebody feel bad because he made me feel so bad I decided to get my soul out of hell and start reaching toward heaven and I've never stopped. I want heaven as my home. I don't want my body and my soul destroyed in hell. Somebody say amen if you agree with that. So, so we, fail, we, we fear failure so we make bad choices. But he says don't, fail, don't fear failure, fear the Lord. We, we fear having our feelings hurt. Don't fear your feelings. Fear the Lord. We fear what future we're creating, but don't fear the future. Fear the Lord. And then he tells you how to do that. Turn away. Turn away from evil. Lord, help me, Jesus. We're living in the most ungodly, unholy church generation. Oh, you weren't ready for that. Yeah, the generation around us is more heathenistic than ever before too. But I don't preach to them on Sunday. I'm talking about why we're living hindered. They ain't supposed to be able to perform miracles. They're like their father the devil. But you and I are supposed to live unhindered lives why are we not seeing the the fruit of what this book says I'm supposed to see listen to what it says turn away from evil can I tell you that turn is an action word it means you have to be deliberate you might accidentally fall into a mess but you will have to get out of it on purpose And, and here's the thing it doesn't just happen because you come to church you can come to church Until Jesus comes back and still end up on the wrong path because you have to make a choice to turn away from evil. This is why you have to give all of your heart. You see how all these scriptures tie together? This is why you have to give all of your heart to the Lord because your heart loves evil. I thought I might get one amen in this whole room. Your heart According to Jeremiah, is despitefully wicked and you can't trust it. Your heart loves evil and as long as you're holding on to part of it and haven't given all of it to the Lord, you will never be able to turn away from evil because part of you is always going to be connected to what you were trying to get away from. The very act of chasing God 
means that you got to leave evil behind because in God there is no evil. So the more hungry you get for him, the farther away from evil you will get. Here's a test. Are you ready? Do you want to know if you're giving God all? Do you want me to give you a test? Y'all didn't know there was going to be a test at church this morning. It's, 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 a one, it's, it's just a few question quiz. You ready for it? Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the microphone to you so you can prepare and answer it. So who's volunteering now? That thing that you're about to do, can you acknowledge him while you do it? That thing you're about to do, that decision you're about to make, does it bring him glory? That thing you're about to do, that choice you're about to make, does it make your relationship with him stronger? That thing you're about to do, is it something that you can pray to him about and feel good about? Or is it something that you feel like you have to hide from him? Because you know that you're not supposed to. If you can't say yes to those questions, you've got some of you that you've not turned over. I've upset you. I've hurt you. I've damaged your itty-bitties. I don't apologize for any of it. Because if you want to live a life that's unhindered, if you're comfortable where you are, and you don't want any more of God in your life, keep doing what you're doing. But somebody has to catch the same fire that I have, that in these last days I've got to have more of Jesus in my life. I need, I need to see exposed in my view the things, the promises, the purpose that I have read about in this book. I am tired about reading about things that I have never experienced in my life and I need more of this book in my life. Does anybody feel the same way or do I need to just close down? See, when you fear the Lord, all of a sudden, you become discontented with stuff that you used to chase. When you fear the Lord, you're not satisfied with who you are and who, you're, who you've been and where you are because you want to move closer to Him. But it will not happen until you turn. Think about Jonah for a minute. Jonah shook his fist in the face of God and says, I will not do what you want me to Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will show you the path. He showed Jonah the path. He said, go to Nineveh. He said, I'm not going to do it. He shook his fist in the face of God and said, I'm not going to do it. God got in his way. Do you understand how hard it is for you to go off path? God gets in your way. He doesn't want to let you go into sin very easily. He doesn't want you to disobey him very easily. He will send people with a word. He, he will put a preacher on the radio when you wasn't asking for one. He'll send a song on Caleb that's convicting to you. He'll constantly get in your way because he doesn't want you to just easily slip. Sin is not like a pothole in the street that you just fall into. You make decisions to get into this mess, and God's always trying to get in your way. That's what he did with Jonah. He swallowed him up. Then he brings him and spits him out on the beach. Here's the thing, though. While he was in that fish, the Bible says he repented. He turned. I don't know what would have happened to Jonah if he hadn't have repented on the inside of that. See, some of y'all are on the wrong path. Some of you have taken the wrong path, but it's not too late to repent. It's not too late to turn. As long as you're still drawing breath, you've got a chance to to turn. You are eating the fruit of your unrighteous choices. You are, you are, you are established in a mindset and in a lifestyle that you uh, know is unhealthy and ungodly and you don't know how to change it. But I promise you, you can get on the right path, but you have to learn how to turn. I don't know what would have happened to Jonah had he not turned. I guess he would have been fish food. But even when God spit him out on the beach, he still had a decision to make. He still had to because he could have chosen. I took a fun ride in a fish, but I am not going to Nineveh. He could have went to Tarshish. He still had a choice to make because God will never override your choices. We love free will until it comes to the point where we have to make a choice to follow. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. Problem is when we come to church, we're only allowed to talk about our past struggles, never our present ones. Because we don't want people to think that we still got some stuff going on. 
So we'll get up and testify about, well, I used to be a drunk, but God delivered me. Yeah, but now you're a liar. Oh, I remember when I used to go out and fight and tear the bar rooms up and God saved my soul. Yeah, but since he saved you, you've turned into a hypocrite. But we're not allowed to talk about stuff that we have now. That's the old church mentality. That's the way it was in the old church. Everybody came into church, and as soon as you said the sinner's prayer, you was cleaned up, and you had it all together. I got news for you. Nobody's perfect. And I checked you. I was standing up there doing praise and worship. Part of praise and worship, ain't none of y'all springing wings yet. So, so, so here we have, here, here we have this concept that I'm going to point out to you, and I, I got time. I, I'm out of time, but I'm going to take time. Psalm chapter 78 says this. If you, if you want to know how, how we hinder God, here it is. You ready? Psalm 78. It's talking about when they were in the wilderness. Israel had been liberated. Many Bible scholars think that Israel coming out of Egypt was like your spiritual salvation experience. It's, it's the, old, the old ruler of your life. That's what Romans chapter 8 teaches you. That now that you are, uh, you're no longer sons of perdition. You're no longer uh, under the control of your old life. The old man is dead. And now you're walking in freedom. Well, Israel was under the rule of Pharaoh and now they're walking in freedom. But the Bible says in Psalm 78... How often they provoked God in the wilderness and grieved Him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God. Look what it says. And limited. Say hindered. Uh huh. They limited the Holy One of Israel. Do you know what that says to you? That is teaching you that the decisions you make can put limits on what God can do in your life. Doesn't that sound preposterous? That a, a God as big as He is, and as powerful as He is, that you could limit Him? It sounds preposterous. It's got to be more complicated than that. It's absolutely exactly like that. As powerful as God is, He will not override your stupidity. If you want to do idiotic things, he's going to stand back. Hey, listen, I was raised in the old school. I was raised by the parents that says, let him pull it off on his head. He won't do it once. You know, people raising kids today, y'all didn't raise them the way I was raised. I see kids out riding bicycles with helmets on and shoulder elbow, uh, elbow pads and knee pads. and They look like they're going out to, to war and they're trying to ride a bicycle and they still got training wheels on. I wasn't my, my, my older brother took me to the top of the hill and let go. We were taught to swim by somebody pushing us in. That, I mean, this, this was our generation. Okay? We were built of sterner stuff back then, okay? And the kids today, we, but my, my, I, can, I can distinctly remember my dad saying, let him try it. He won't do it again. And, and some of you were raised like that. But, but, but that's, this is your heavenly father watching you do stuff. He's put hindrances in your way. He's put a preacher in your way. He's put the word in your way. He's put worship in your way. He's put, he's, he's put the knowledge of the truth in your way. And yet, some of you are still going to do like Jonah and say, I'm not going there. I'm going here because look how fine he is. Look how pretty she is. Look at them pretty blue eyes. And you're going to do exactly what he told you not to do. And he's going to say, you won't do it twice. Listen to what it says. And it will be healing to your flesh. How many needs healed? More importantly, how many of you know somebody else that needs healed? And you've been praying for their healing. Okay? Let, let's dig into this. It will be healing to your flesh. And, and don't miss this. Don't miss this. And refreshment to your bones. Is that your testimony? Do you wake up every morning and say, man, I feel energetic. I am so refreshed. Nobody? I'm so excited about today. My bones are refreshed. You got good bones? How's your bones doing? Some of you say, I got weary bones. <laughs> so why are we not getting healed? Why do we not see healing happening in the house of God? Why, why, is, why is so many things dragging us down? 
Why does it seem like life gets harder every day is harder than the last? Look at your neighbor and say, how's your bones doing? check, Check your neighbor's bones. How's your bones? Are they refreshed? Do you wake up every day and jump out of the bed and say, I'm so refreshed and energetic. I love today. There's two ways to greet each day. You wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Or you wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> Which one are you? If, you got, if your bones are refreshed, you're going you're gonna to feel it. So there's three things in this passage that teach us that, that we can limit God and hinder Him in our life. You ready? Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. Okay, number one, doubt limits what God can do. Doubt. Why? Because doubt reduces what God can do to what you can understand. You want to know why we're not healed? You want to know why we don't see miracles taking place? Because we have too much. Miracles cannot be built on doubt. Hear me. Peter believed he walked on water. Peter doubted he sunk. When Jesus was brought the little boy in Mark chapter 9, when, 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 before it was brought to Jesus, he was brought to the disciples. And what did Jesus tell the disciples? You don't have enough faith. You have too much doubt. Doubt limits miracles. If you have doubt, you can't heal. You, if you have too much doubt, you will never see enough healing. So he says, don't lean on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own Stubbornness limits God. I know none of you are stubborn, so let me testify. As a a card-carrying member of the Stubborn I Am Club, let me testify that stubbornness limits what God can do in your life. Because when you are tied to anything besides God, you are limiting what God can do in your life. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, He couldn't get Egypt out of them. Because they were still tied. They were stubborn. They kept looking back over their shoulders thinking about they had it better back then. Stubbornness. If you're not all in right now in this moment, what do you expect God to do with that? If you're not tied to the moment with God, you're insulting God. Which leads to the final way that we limit God. Unfaithfulness. Look what it says. It says, fear the Lord And turn away from evil. Fear the Lord. Can I be honest with y'all? Some of y'all don't know me well enough for me to be honest, but I'm going to be honest for just a second, okay? Some of y'all are going to be like, I can't believe the preacher said that. I know. We're that church. I'm that guy. Can, can Can I just be honest? There are some sins that I would have kept doing after I got saved, and probably some I would have kept doing after I started preaching. If I wasn't afraid of what would happen. See, I told you, you can't be vulnerable in church. we got to talk about what he delivered us from. How about the stuff that took a while? There are some sins. I, hear, I used to hear the old timers testify in the church about, I was a wretched, miserable sinner. And I was like, well, you was doing it wrong. I had news for you. You was partying with the wrong bunch. Because I was a sinner, but I was not miserable in it. I was, I mean, I was turning up. Like, I, y'all was partying with the wrong people. If y'all was miserable in it, you're doing it wrong. You should have took some lessons. Because, listen, there are some sins I would have kept doing, but I was afraid of the Lord. I was afraid that if I continued on that path, that he would let me go, that he would release his anointing, that he would take his favor, that I would make myself sick and then have to ask him to heal me. There are some things that I would have kept doing, but I was afraid of the Lord. And listen to what Solomon says. He says, fear the Lord and then turn away from evil. Some of the stuff I turned away from, I wasn't ready to let go of. But I did it because I feared the Lord. And you need to know something. There's a lot of sins in the Bible. And most of them you avoid. Most of them you're good at not breaking. But there are some things that you do that brings hindrances and trouble 
into your life. And by the way, it's not just the stuff that you're avoiding that you shouldn't do. Because listen what he said, in all your ways acknowledge him. James teaches us that sometimes it's sin if we know to do the right thing and we don't do that. But when you acknowledge him in all of your ways, you're not just avoiding sin. You're also saying, if it's right, I want to do right. Okay? So, so, so there's some things that you shouldn't be doing and you're not. But is there some stuff you know you're supposed to? Can, can I help you? You know you're supposed to be in church. You know you're supposed to be in church. You know that Christians should come to church. Do not avoid the continual fellowship and the unity of the ecclesia of us joining together. It's in the book. It's in the book. You know you're supposed to come to church. And you come when you feel like it. You come when you ain't got nothing else to do. You come when you feel like uh, that, 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 that you need a pick-me-up. And then when something bad happens on your path. How'd you end up on that path in the first place? Because you did not acknowledge him in all. You didn't acknowledge him in all your ways. You knew you were supposed to be in church. But you had everything else that was more important than being in church. You had every excuse under the sun not to come to church. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The Bible tells us how we're supposed to treat each other. And we don't want to do that. We don't realize that me mistreating you is against him. It's just too bad. Parents, this book teaches you how to raise your kids. This book teaches you how employees are supposed to honor and respect their employers. How spouses are supposed to honor and provide the needs of each other. What? I ain't responsible for his needs. Well, then you're hindered. You're living a hindered life. Because if we don't fear the Lord enough... To turn away from evil and turn toward his will, we might as well stop asking him to heal us. Because if we can't do one, we'll never receive the other. So there's a song out right now. We sing it here at church. And it starts out, I'm calling on the God of Jacob. I'm calling on the God of Jacob. And that's all it says. It doesn't say Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. It says, I'm calling on the God of Jacob. But can I tell you that it wasn't supposed to be the God of Jacob? It was supposed to be the God of Esau. Esau was the older brother. Esau had the right of inheritance, just like you do. Go read Ephesians. You have a heavenly inheritance. I just got goosebumps on my goosebumps. You have a heavenly inheritance. Healing is one of your inherited gifts. Stable mind is one of your inherited gifts. You can walk in favor. The book of John says that he wants you to be blessed just like your soul prospers. He wants you to feel all the way down to your bones. He wants you to feel his presence in your life. The Bible says that Paul was so anointed that they would take his sweat rags to sick folk and to dem demoniacs and they would be healed because the anointing was so intense in Paul that it would transfer to a sweat rag. And we can't get in our churches today enough power to blow our nose. What's the hindrance? Listen, listen to what this said. In all your ways acknowledge him, fear the Lord, turn from your wicked ways. The deadliest virus, and I'm going to preach on it again tonight. Why is Esau not remembered like Jacob. Why? 
Because in Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 and 30, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. I'm starved. I'm starved. The first thing that he should have noticed was, I am too hungry to make decisions. Because when I make important decisions while I'm hungry, I'll eat anything. But because he didn't notice how weak he was and how vulnerable he was, instead of responding to the path, his inheritance, he responded to the hunger. And the Bible says in verse 31, All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? This is the worst deal in human history. He responded to his hunger in a moment of weakness that was going to put him on a path that he would hate later. Some of you are there right now. Some of you are on a path that you hate. Here's what Esau said. He said, I'm starving. My identity is how I feel. I am defined by how I'm feeling right now. When you make decisions based on how you're feeling, you're always going to end up on the wrong path. And some of you come to church, but you hide there. And you're on the wrong path, and you know you've been on the wrong path for a long time. And you hate the path you're on. You hate the decisions you've made. I'm calling on the God of Jacob. That's why we call on the God of Jacob and not the God of Esau. Because Esau decided in a weak moment to get on the wrong path. And any time you make important decisions when you are hungry, you will find yourself eating from the devil's table. When you are weak, when you are lonely, when you are desperate, when you are vulnerable, when you are hurting, when your heart has been broken, when people have damaged you, when you are wounded, you are in no position to be making important decisions about your life. One reason you need to be in church, because you need to surround yourself with voices that will cut through the devil's noise. And speak to you and say, what does the Holy Spirit say about this choice? What is God telling you about this person? What is God telling you about this career move? What is God saying about you going into debt for a house when you just got laid off? What's God saying about it? You need to surround yourself with proper voices to drown out the dangerous ones. Oh. Now, I'm going to tell you, before I got in the pulpit today, I, I, I got on my face before the Lord and said, God, i got to give you all of myself. To preach this message, I have to present all of me. I, I, want, I want healing for me, but I also I want, to, I want to be able to pray for people and see them healed. I, I, I want to be able to speak words that makes the devil leave you alone. But I, I, I'll never get there. I'll never get there until I give him all of me. So this, this altar service this morning is going to be for every person in the room. If you're a minister, if you're a preacher, if you, this is your first Sunday, and you, and you know there's, there's part of me I've never surrendered to God. I, I've talked a good game. I've talked about it. And I'm going to be honest with you. This checked me before I ever got in the pulpit. Because there's parts of me that when I really examine myself, I realize there's parts of me it's hard to surrender. There's, there's parts of my ego. There's parts of my personality. There's parts of my past. There's parts of my weaknesses. It's hard for me to surrender. And then you find yourself making poor choices and getting on the wrong path. And that's why we don't say that we're calling on the God of Esau. Don't disconnect yourself from your destiny. Don't despise your birthright. Don't lose your inheritance. 
because momentarily you're hungry momentarily you're desperate momentarily you feel a certain way don't lose your inheritance God I need to give you all of me is there anybody brave enough in this room to come up to this altar and lay everything in front of the Lord say God I know I haven't given you all of me but today today I feel the need to give you all of me I I have kept some of me I've kept most of me but today God I want to surrender all of me is there any is there any others that need to come to this altar this morning and say here I am Lord if I'm ever going to receive healing I need to give you all of me if I'm ever going to be able to give healing I need to give all of me there's been things that I've known I should have done that I haven't done there's relationship struggles that I have because I know that I have went down the wrong path and I want to straighten my path out today God I know that this isn't your fault this is my fault I have hindered myself and I'm asking you today God put me back on the right path